Will you join us in singing that this morning? That the Lord sets a fire in us. And we want more of Him. That He moves through us. Set a fire down in our soul. Set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain, that I can't control. I want more of you, God. I want more of you, God. Set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain, that I can't control. I want more of you, God. I want more of you, God. So set a fire down. down in my soul that I can't contain, that I can't control. I want more of you, God. I want more of you. Sing out, lift that up. Set a fire down in my soul that I can't control. I want more of you, God. Set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain, that I can't control. I want more of you, God. Things in your name they shall be done. 
Welcome, welcome. It's officially June. Um, why don't we go ahead, uh, shake hands, and ask the person what their favorite summer, I know it's not officially summer yet, but their summer activity is. Good morning. Welcome again. Wonderful uh, time of the year, right? Yeah, a few people are excited about this time of the year. I hope others are as well. If not, uh, you will be soon. Hey, um, I don't know what your answer was to that question about um, favorite summer activities. You might have said something about going up north or being on the water or, you know, playing ball games or things like that. Um, well, those are all great answers. Um, they're not the correct answer, okay? Just, I'm sorry to disappoint you. There is a right answer, okay? And I, and I want you to take a look at the screen as we talk about uh, what the right answer really is as a favorite summertime activity, okay? You may have noticed that the lobby has started, started its transformation, and there are great times in store for us here. We are only two weeks away from the start of Bible camp, right? So what a great opportunity that we have to uh, both be engaged and, and serve and then uh, participate as well. So if you've been looking for a way to get plugged in, I want to encourage you this morning uh, to take that next step, okay? Uh, grab your favorite pair of shoes, okay? I don't know if you noticed this, but they actually coordinated with the video, all right? Um, grab your favorite pair of shoes and take this journey with us. We want to invite you to, to jump on board and, and be a part of Bible Camp this year. Um, this is a great opportunity, so whether you're a camper age, um, we want you to get signed up at Hopevale, um, BibleCamp at Hopevale.org, I'm sorry, BibleCamp at Hopevale.org. So get your campers signed up if you want to volunteer, uh, if you're too old to be a camper, so junior high age, right on through retirement, we can use your help, and this is a great way to serve. So we want to invite you once again just to be a part of that. So this morning when the service is done, there's two ways to do this. You can go home and sign up, or you can walk, not run, but walk right out these doors, and the staff from Children's Ministries will be out back and are out front waiting for you uh, to sign up and be a part of this great week of camp, okay? Um, Hopefully you'll be a part of it. It's, it's, a, it's a great ministry. We want to transition at this point in time to our, our weekly opportunity to give back to the Lord a portion of what he's given to us. And so as we do that this morning, I simply want you to know that uh, part of what we give goes towards the ministry of Bible camp. Part of what we give on a weekly basis is budgeted to that and goes to that. Yeah, there's additional costs and there's a slight fee to go to Bible camp, but your gifts each week go to the ministry that's happening right here on the grounds of Hopevale, and then also beyond these walls. So as we enter this time, let's pray. Father God, we uh, thank you this morning for the opportunity to be able to give a portion of what uh, you've blessed us with back to you. So Father, we, um, we just pray that you'd be at the center of our, our lives, and that as part of that, uh, we would experience the joy of getting to give to you. So Father, take these gifts, uh, bless them, use them for the furtherance of your kingdom, that little ones that come to Bible camp and others would come to know you in a deeper way. We pray this all in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Sweet the sound, amazing. 
thank you for flooding this place this morning. We can feel you. We feel you moving. So we invite you into our hearts. Go ahead and, and mold us and transform us. Amen. Men, you can go ahead and have a seat. We uh, need songs like that. We need moments of worship like that. Because there's a tendency for all of us as people, for our faith, for our faith to get kind of casual and complacent, and where our faith is not so much about worshiping a mighty God as it is about, oh, just some help to get us along in life, right? God is so much more than just a life coach. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And he's not just everything to me, he's everything, period. And so the same God who was crucified on a cross, the same God who rose from the dead, it's the same God, the same Savior, the same Jesus who will come back again as a conquering king, setting all that is wrong in this world and making it right and reigning forever in glory, honor, power, and love. That is our hope. That's what we hold on to. And it is great to come together and get that right, right, in the midst of a lot of tough stuff in life, to get that right. 
and to have our hearts in tune with the living God. So, anger series. Are you finally tired of being angry? <laughs> I mean, I am. I can imagine that's the way you feel, too. Our series on anger has been a good journey, but it's also been a very intense one. It is never fun to take an honest look inward and to see all the ways, right, that we've hurt other people, that we've failed God, and that we have disappointed ourselves with our selfish anger. How we get angry, why we get angry, when we get angry, who we get angry at, and as much as we don't want to admit it, once we start adding all that up, it makes for a pretty long list. And yet on the flip side, as discouraging as it is to face up to our own anger, to take responsibility for it, there is still this genuine Christian hope in the midst of it, that the Holy Spirit within every believer of Jesus Christ not only shows us where we need to change, but he also gives us the strength to make that change. And so when it comes to our anger, the goal for us as followers of Jesus isn't perfection, but it is progress. Progress, growth, where we are not getting rid of anger altogether, but as we've said in this series, it's that our anger is increasingly moving away from selfishness and moving toward righteousness. We find ourselves more and more getting angry at the right things for the right reasons while not being able, right? to have that warped, self-centered anger that used to dominate us, you know, being able to let that go, right? So this is all part of the movement of our growth and maturity as Christians. You know, whether it's dealing with our anger or really any area of our life, it's important to put that life issue into context of the bigger goals we have as Christians. There's a passage we talk a lot about around here at Hopevale from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 22. It's where Jesus is asked to summarize and to prioritize the heart of true faith. And so in Matthew 22, verse 35, we read this, that one of them, an expert in the law, tested him, speaking of Jesus, with this question, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus, of everything that God tells us that we're supposed to do, what's at the top of the list? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. This is what you need to do, Jesus said. Love God with everything you've got. Don't be content with spiritual mediocrity. 70, 80, even 90% isn't enough. You've got to give it all to the Lord, holding nothing back. That's number one, Jesus says. Well, actually, it's more like 1A, because 1B is this, verse 39, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself, and all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments that essentially the entirety of the Bible boils down to this. Love God, love people. Love God, love people. Every day, every way, with everything you've got. And guess what? That includes what you do with your anger. How much of your selfish anger is getting in the way of you growing as a loving person and living out this greatest commandment? That is what is at stake when it comes to our anger. And up to this point in this series, most of our focus has been on the loving God part, right, of this passage. It's the way that I'm dealing with my anger, pleasing to the Lord, or is it mostly self-centered? That's why we spent a couple weeks talking about growth and change, and it's also why we talked last week about our past and how we can get beyond those things that keep us from experiencing the forgiveness and the freedom that God has for us as Christians. Today, though, and really for the rest of our series, we're going to move on from the vertical that is us loving God to the horizontal of us loving people, and how do we bring our biblical understanding of anger and us trying to live that out, how do we bring it to those people around us? That as we are growing in love by the grace of God, that as we're changing in this area of our lives, how is it going to affect the, the way we treat others? That's what we're going to look at. And so specifically this morning, we're going to talk about dealing with angry people. Dealing with angry people. How should we as Christians, as those who are called to love our neighbor as ourselves, right? How do we relate to the angry among us who make it very difficult for us to love them, right? Let's face it, upset, 
annoyed, irritated, frustrated people, especially when all their rage is directed at you? They're not very lovable, are they? So what do you do with them? Are you just supposed to give in to them, hoping that's going to calm them down? Is there ever a time when you should stand your ground? What does the Christ-like thing to do look like? Well, before we try to find some answers from Scripture, I first want us to think about who specifically I have in mind when I use the expression angry people, right? Now, this might be an oversimplification, but let's draw a distinction between people who get angry versus people who are angry, okay? People who get angry versus people who are angry. I mean, if the definition of an angry person is someone who gets angry, then we're pretty much just talking about all of us, right? We all get angry. That is the entire human population. But within that whole, there is a subset of people who don't just get angry, but who are angry all the time. That for them, it's more than just a situation. It's a disposition. And so how are we supposed to relate to people whose default mode is one of anger? That's what I mean when I use the expression angry people. Now, when you look in the Bible, you'll see that there's a lot written, not just about anger, but also angry people, especially in the book of Proverbs, and that there are many straightforward insights in Proverbs about anger and wise pieces of advice that we would do well to follow. So first of all, what is the profile of an angry person? Who are we talking about here? Well, remember these passages from a few weeks ago, Proverbs 12, verse 16, that fools show their annoyance at once, but the prudent overlook an insult. Angry people tend to show their anger at once, right away, on the spot. Not only that, but Proverbs 29, 11 says that fools give full vent to their rage, but the wise bring calm in the end. So you have these these two phrases, right? At once and full vent. That in essence, an angry person has no filter, that it all comes out right away on the spot. It's not a trickle, it's a fire hose. They're mad and they're going to let you know it. And so because of that, they affect both themselves and others. Proverbs 29:22, that an angry person stirs up conflict and a hot-tempered person commits many sins. They cause a lot of trouble. Trouble with people, trouble against people, trouble for themselves. Now that might sound rather obvious, right, that an angry person stirs up conflict, but I want you to hold on to that for a moment. Why? Because it's actually a pretty good test to figure out who the angry people are around you. Now, we didn't need much help when it comes to the outwardly and the violently angry people that we run into. Those are pretty obvious. But the frequent presence of conflict around a person also unmasks those whose anger is harder to detect. You know, the classic example here is the quote-unquote passive-aggressive type, right? Those who appear pleasant on the outside, and yet it seems like everywhere they go, there's some type of conflict swirling around them. Now, they don't like, look like the obvious ones to blame, right? But after a while, you start connecting the dots, and you start to wonder, you know, why are they always in the middle of some kind of relational conflict? Why? Because an angry person stirs up conflict, even those who don't always outwardly appear angry. And so either way, whether their anger is obviously outward or maybe it's more subtle, angry people are people who are looking to pick a fight. They feel they've been wrong, they didn't get their way, they think everyone's out to get them, and so they're going to do something about it, which means usually taking it out on the people around them, even if they aren't the cause of the problem. See, here's what you need to know about anger. Anger is very engaging. It is incredibly contagious, and if you are not on your guard, it's going to suck you right in. That's why Proverbs cautions us against the effect that angry people can have on us. Look at this, Proverbs 22, verse 24, verse 25. Do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily angered, or you may learn their ways and get yourself ensnared. Listen, if you're not careful, an angry person is not only going to drag you into a fight that's not yours to begin with, but they're also going to begin to rub off on you. Their anger will get you worked up, and because you're starting to get emotionally invested, you'll begin to justify your own angry behavior and act like them in return. And see, this passage is also a warning, by the way, about the company we keep and how it can influence us. Spend enough time with an angry crowd, and you'll learn their angry ways. And in case you need any proof, 
Just look at the state of American politics today, right? Where there is a lot of anger with little substance. Now, there's a fine line here, right? Because we're called to love our neighbor as ourselves. So total isolation isn't an option. But on the other hand, there might be those times when we need to step away because what being around people like that is doing to us, we, we begin to recognize. So here's my point. Just be aware how easy it is for an angry person to pull you into their troubles, even though you might not have anything to do with those troubles, right? Anger is emotional. Anger is contagious. Anger riles up our sense of justice, of who's right and who's wrong. That's why it is so easy for it to ensnare us. So what do you do? What do you do when an angry person engages you and is looking to pick a fight? And by the way, when I say fight, I'm not talking about literal fisticuffs. Oh, it could be that. No, it's usually more verbal, isn't it? Arguing, complaining, gossiping railing against you, things like that. Might be face-to-face, might be by phone, might be by text, social media, whatever. What do you do? Well, I want to share a few thoughts with you today about that. And let me just say right up front that as I do, a lot of this is going to be easier said than done kind of stuff, okay? I mean, easier said than done. That doesn't mean it's any less true. It just means that this is hard to pull off in real life, especially when someone's anger is coming your way, right? So what do we do? Well, let me give you some biblical principles to practically put into place. First of all, recognize that angry people are threatened people. Angry people are threatened people. Now, you've heard me quote the line before from up front that hurt people hurt people, right? And there really is some truth to that. More specifically, though, when it comes to anger, I would put it this way, that the most threatening people are the ones who feel most threatened. It's true. The most threatening people are the ones who feel most threatened. Now, we normally associate being threatened with fear, right? And that's certainly the case. But a person's fear can also lead to rage. You know, it's the mama bear syndrome who goes on the attack because someone was messing with her cubs, right? And angry people lash out at others because they think that someone in some way has tried to attack something that's very precious to them, right? And on a human level, when I say precious, it can be all sorts of things. So I'm not just talking about money and possessions, right? It could be their boyfriend, girlfriend, their reputation, their self-esteem, their sense of security, their sense of fairness, whatever it is. An angry person feels threatened, and that's why they're being so threatening. Now, whether that attack actually happened or it's just something they imagined, well, that's, you know, secondary at this point, because to them it feels very real. And so an angry person is venting at you. Will you know the reason why? Probably not. But you know what? They might not really know either, which leads to the second point. Understand that the object and the intensity of their anger is rarely rational. Understand that the object and the intensity of their anger are rarely rational. For an angry person... It doesn't always going to make sense when you're on the receiving end of it. When they go on a rampage, they may take out their anger on you even though you're not really the cause of it. You know, I talked about this a few weeks ago. It's the kick the dog syndrome, right? Where, for instance, problems experienced at work turn into anger expressed at home. It's not their fault, but they're the target. And not only is there this kick the dog phenomenon, but also with an angry person, the punishment usually doesn't fit the crime, right? The punishment usually doesn't fit the crime, that even if you did do something wrong, the fury that they rain down on you is far, far worse than what the offense deserves. It's the child who carelessly leaves their bike outside overnight in the rain and then gets reamed up one side and down the other the next day for doing it. Now, should they have brought their bike inside and put it in the garage? Yeah, probably. But did they deserve all that wrath in response from a parent who's called to love and protect that child? No way. And so with angry people, there is this irrational disconnect between both who they're getting mad at and how much they're getting mad From the outside looking in now, it doesn't make much sense, right? But when you're in the eye of the hurricane of their anger, right, and they've engaged you, it feels all too real. It throws off your sense of reality. And in the moment, you might even conclude that it's fully deserved. But with angry people, that's rarely the case. So understand that the object and the intensity of their anger are rarely rational. 
You know, this concept, by the way, is what I think motivated Jesus to pray as he's dying on the cross, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Now, if you think about that, his words are rather strange because they knew exactly what they were doing, didn't they? They wanted him dead. And yet, in a deeper sense, because they hadn't experienced the grace of God, because they didn't really know God personally, they irrationally took out their anger and their fear out on Jesus. And so, in that sense, they really didn't know what they were doing. That is how angry people work, this sense of irrationality. And so, third, try not to take their anger personally. Try not to take their anger personally. Now, again, this definitely falls into the easier said than done category. I mean, I get it, because I know that I far too often do take it personally. That anger sucks you right in, it riles you up. But if we can step back for a moment, we can think about the motivation and the irrationality of an angry person, that if these first two points really are true, then deep down we should know that all their bluster, all their fury really aren't about us. Know that something else is going on with them. We just happen to be the lightning rod at that moment. You know, normally when someone gets angry at us, our first response is one either of, of doubt or defensiveness, right? I think that's our natural reflex, doubt or defensiveness. Doubt says, maybe they're right, it must be my fault. Or defensiveness says, I know they're wrong and I'm going to prove it to them right now. But either way, when you're dealing with an angry person, who's right or who's wrong really isn't the issue, at least not at that moment. Now, right and wrong do matter, and there may come a time down the road where you're going to have to work through that with them, but now's not that time. You have to resist the temptation of getting pulled into the fight that they're trying to pick with you, where their anger is goading you to get angry in return. See, this is where we need the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. Because remember, Galatians 5 says that the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, or forbearance. And then the list keeps on going and ends with what? Self-control. Self-control. Fighting the urge to retaliate right then and there to win the argument and prove your point. Try not to take their anger personally. One other thing about this, and then we'll move on. Angry people can be very convincing people, okay? Angry people can be very convincing people, especially when they're in a position of influence and authority over you, like a parent, like an employer, and maybe even like a pastor, and so they forcefully, eloquently direct their anger at you. They say degrading things about your worth as a person, and it can be really easy to believe what they say. You're no good. You'll never amount to anything. You're terrible at your job. Why do we even hire you in the first place? And if we're not careful, we can take their irrational anger as gospel truth about who we are when it's not, right? Listen, as a human being created in the image of God, as a Christian who God dearly, faithfully, and unconditionally loves, your worth as a person is not defined by the rantings of an angry fool, okay? As persuasive as they may sound, let the gospel of Jesus Christ speak what is true to you through his word, through services like these, through caring Christian community, that as a beloved son and daughter of the living God who is grounded in the grace and truth of Jesus Christ, try not to take their anger personally. Here's another. Work hard to listen, not react. Work hard to listen, not react. Even if their anger is irrational, it's directed at you, even though the real issues go far deeper than you, you got to try to diffuse the problem, not escalate the conflict, okay? Diffuse the problem, not escalate the conflict. We saw earlier in Proverbs 29, 11, that fools give full vent to their rage, but biblically wise and godly people try to bring calm to the end. And reacting immediately in the moment is rarely calming. And somehow instead, we need to be able to not take their tantrum personally and somehow give them a little space to speak their mind. Because responding with anger or trying to shut them down and tell them they're wrong is not going to solve the problem right then and there. Proverbs 15, 18 says something similar, that a hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but the one who is patient calms a quarrel. There is so much power in patience. There is so much power in resisting the temptation to react. And so when we're able to do that, we can bring calm 
to the situation. So what's our action step here? What do we do instead? Well, we've seen this passage before, but one of the key concepts here, and really for the entire series, comes from James chapter 1, verse 19, verse 20. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Why? Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Let me tell you, this is memory verse material. It really is. You should know this one by heart. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. There have actually been times in my life when I've said these very words to myself right in the middle of a conflict, when I feel my temperature rising, when I'm convinced I'm 100% right. And in that moment, I've got to choose to trust the wisdom of God's word, especially in this passage, that instead of lashing back and return right, right then and there, which is not the righteous way, God wants me to handle that conflict. Quick to listen. Now at this point, listening does a few things. Listening gives you greater insight into their anger that not everything they're going to say is going to make complete sense, but it can help you to understand a little bit about their side of the story. Listening also gives them a sense of being heard, right? Which is no small thing. See, angry people not only feel threatened, but angry people also feel alone and powerless. And so sometimes just listening helps give them a sense of dignity, of respect, which if they lack that in their life, might be the deeper reason behind their anger. And then listening also shows you where you might be at fault and help you to apologize appropriately. See, depending on our personality, whether we're strong-willed or soft-hearted, we often have a tendency to do one of two things, either apologize for everything or apologize for nothing, right? Soft-hearted people apologize for everything because they don't like all the conflict and just want it to end, while strong-willed people, right, they refuse to apologize at all because they don't like to admit they're wrong. But even with irrationally angry people, there still might be these kernels of truth in what they say, and some of it might actually have to do with us. And so when that's the case, then we need to appropriately, not over, not under, but appropriately own up to our part in the wrong they've experienced and tell them we're sorry where it's needed. You know, this juncture right here is so critical because we get to this point where we can escalate things or we can diffuse them. And so much of it has to do with starting by listening. Work hard to listen, not react. Fifth, do what you can to bring them peace, no less, no more. You and I as Christians are called to pursue peace with the people that God brings into our lives. Blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus said, for they shall be called children of God. And so while we are not personally responsible for someone else's anger, and you need to know that, right? You're not personally responsible for someone else's anger, which as an aside means that we shouldn't listen to angry people when they keep telling us, you make me so angry, as if it's all our fault and none of their responsibility, right? No. But we are responsible for anger in our own lives. And so if we're going to bring peace to a situation to an angry person, we first have to make sure that we are dealing with our own anger in a godly and repentant way. It all starts with us. You know, one of my favorite verses here is found in Romans 12, 18. A verse that, by the way, is sandwiched between two verses we looked at last week that talked about us not taking revenge and leaving justice up to God, right? So here, Romans 12, verse 18, Paul commands us, if it is possible. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. There are three parts to this statement, one primary command and two qualifying statements. The primary command is live at peace with everyone, right? That is the goal. That is the ideal for us as Christians. And yet Paul also realizes that we do not live in an ideal world with ideal people. So he adds these two qualifying statements. If it is possible, and as far as it depends on you. If it is possible, because sometimes it's not. Sometimes the other person isn't willing to let go of their anger. And as far as it depends on you, listen, own your part in the peacemaking process. Do what God is nudging you to do, to say, to apologize, whatever it is, even if it's really hard, okay? 
And don't be that guy, don't be that gal who waits for the other person to make the first move because you think they're more at fault, right? That they've got more to apologize for. And that may seem like the fair thing to do, but the Bible doesn't say it's the right thing to do. No, there are times when you've got to be the bigger person, right? And make the first peacemaking move. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do what you can to bring them peace, no less, no more. A couple more here. Know your limits and when to walk away. Know your limits and when to walk away. Now, I struggled how to word this one because when you read it out loud, it doesn't, say very, it doesn't sound very Christ-like, does it, right? After all, didn't Jesus say that if someone slaps us on one cheek that we're supposed to turn to them the other one also? And so where is the love in walking away? Now, certainly as Christians, we're called not just to love our friends, but we're also called to love our enemies. Jesus is very clear about that, okay? But what that love might look like depends on the situation. Because Jesus also told his disciples that if people of a certain town aren't receptive to the message of the good news, then there comes a point when they're just supposed to shake the dust off their feet and move on. Likewise, he says that we should not cast our pearls before swine, meaning that if there is an ongoing lack of receptivity toward the truth, then we're just wasting our time with people who have absolutely no interest in hearing what we have to say to them, even if we do genuinely care and want their best. I came across a passage this week that I know I've probably read before, but in light of this series, it struck me in a whole new way. It's in the Bible. Here we go. Proverbs 19, 19. A hot-tempered man must pay the penalty. If you rescue him, you will have to do it again. Hot-tempered man must pay the penalty. If you rescue him, you will have to do it again. That this hot-tempered person, this person with an angry disposition who's unwilling to change, he, she has to feel the full effect of the consequences of their angry behavior. They must, so to speak, pay the penalty. Otherwise, what? Otherwise, if they don't, if you somehow spare them, if you somehow rescue them from the consequences of their anger, they're not only keep on doing the same thing, but they're also going to expect you to keep on rescuing them and cleaning up their messes, which is a pattern that doesn't help anyone. The message translation of the Bible puts it this way. Let angry people endure the backlash of their own anger. If you try to make it better, you'll only make it worse. There is a difference with angry people between helping and enabling, right? Helping and enabling. And so sometimes the most loving thing you can do for an angry person is just to walk away, is to put up personal boundaries if you need to, and even limit contact with them if you have to. I'd say this is especially true when your own personal safety is at risk, okay? or the safety of your children. Again, I'm not talking about people who get angry because we all do that. I'm talking about people who are angry, people who have a proven track record of angry and violent outbursts. And so for those of you who have that rescuer-type personality, you know, where you keep on finding yourself in these codependent relationships, you need to know that sticking around and tolerating their behavior isn't helping them, it's not helping you or anyone else. As hard as it is, we need to know our limits and when to walk away. And then finally, we'll wrap up with this. Don't give up on anyone. Keep on praying. Don't give up on anyone. Keep on praying. See, chances are there is an angry person in your life who seems beyond hope. Maybe there's someone that you've tried to help before over and over and over. And every single time, yet, they keep on lashing out and they've never really changed. And so you finally reach this breaking point with them and you just stop trying to help them. Maybe you even had to end a relationship and you haven't seen them since, which, by the way, might have been the wisest thing for you to do at the time. But here's what we need to remember, that there is not a single person on the face of this planet who is beyond the reach of God's love. There is not a single person on this planet, no matter how angry they might be, who is beyond the reach of God's love. There isn't. And so as angry and as unlovable as some people can be, God's grace is greater still. And so if God hasn't given up on them, then neither should we. And so as you think about that angry person in your life, I think it'd do you well to remember how patient God, you know, 
has been and is still with you. This undying patience that is born out of his relentless love for all people. 2 Peter 3.9 says this, that the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The Lord's heart for angry people is that they not stay that way. That instead they would repent of their anger. They would humbly turn away from being imprisoned by it and instead then would step into the forgiveness and the acceptance of Jesus. That's what God wants for that angry person in your life. And so should you. Which means what? Which means then we pray for them. We pray with passion, with patience, with perseverance. We keep on praying and not give up. Because in the end, only God can change a heart. In the end, only he can release them from the chains of their anger. And so we pray. We believe. We believe that the same God who raised Jesus from the dead is the same God who is able to deliver even the angriest of people. As hard, as frustrating, as hurtful as some angry people may have been to you in your life, don't give up. Don't give up on them, but keep on praying. And let's pray together. Lord, in, in walking um, through this message, I'm reminded of something I said last week, that there's no such thing as a magic formula or simple steps that we can check off a list within a day or a week's time, right? But God, there are principles from Scripture that invite us into love and wisdom that don't always make sense to us. When we're hurt by angry people, we either want to lash back or we want to run away. And yet somehow you call us to stay, to listen, and to love. Not taking more responsibility than we have to, but loving them with the love that you love us with. God, I know there are people here who carry heavy burdens, who have senselessly been hurt by the words and actions of angry people. And so I don't make light of everything I've said. I don't pretend to know the difficulty of the wounds. But Jesus, you are deeper and greater than any hurt and wounds we might carry. And so one, we give those to you, and then Lord, we give those people to you. Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. In a sense, that's really true. And so we pray that by your Holy Spirit, the grace and the love of Jesus would break through break the chains, break the hardness, break the blindness, and liberate them into the love that you have for them. And God, that may be the story or the need of some people here where you need to break through. Break through by your love, by your grace. Now, whatever threat or fear we may fear, feel, that you'll replace that with your greater and stronger and undying love. We worship you, Jesus, and pray in your name, amen. Let's stand together.
Oh
what can lead us to places of refreshment and power that's beyond what we can muster up ourselves. It is the work of the Holy Spirit in us. He breathes on us. He revives us to be the kind of people that God wants us to be and do the kind of things that God wants us to do. Amen? Amen. We have a couple more weeks in our uh, anger series. Next week is anger and relationships. And I want to tell you that in addition to the message, we're going to have a time at the end where we'll have some church leaders available for prayer. We do this now and again. And whether it's just a personal situation that you'd like prayer for or a relational situation, we just want you to be aware that that's going to be happening next week and can't wait to share that day with you. But as you go from here, May the breath of the Holy Spirit breathe upon you, reviving your soul that you may live for your God. God bless you.